not here to poke holes in suspended disbelief. Anyway, they see some weird shit. They decide to make a baby. Thou merkin merchant. Who gives a fuck? Oh, my God. We're just going to start calling you Damien Yeltsin's billboards. Well, you know, uh, I really like it here. Uh, it's kind of nice. And uh, it's not as cold as back home. And the soil is a lot better. So, yeah, sure. I think we're going to settle. If I'm a peasant boy who grabs a sword out of a stone. Yeah. I'm able to open people up. Well, yeah. Anytime I hit them with it, right? Yeah. So my cleave landing will make me a cavalier. Good day, sir. If Siskel thought it was empty-headed plebeian trash, it was probably <laughs> really good at groove on <laughs> Because cannibalism and murder. Pull back just a little bit and build walls to keep out the redheads. Authorial intent doesn't exist. Some people stand up and wipe their butts. Some people stay seated and wipe their butts. Let me just... This is a Geek History of Time. Where we connect nerdery to the real world. My name is Ed Blaylock. I'm a middle school history teacher with a side of English here in Northern California. And um, at the risk of dating when we're recording this, um, I'm very much looking forward to this weekend because my parents are coming up to visit and uh, we're going to get to take them with us when we take our little boy trick-or-treating. Yeah, that will definitely date the podcast. Yes, but uh, he's going to be a dinosaur this year, which he's very excited about. Um, And yeah, I'm just I'm looking forward to seeing my my parents getting a thrill out of seeing him being so excited. So I'm I'm very, very happy they're coming up. So that's what I have going on. And, And who, sir, are you? I'm Damien Harmony. I am a Latin and drama teacher up here in Northern California. Uh, and since you've already dated this, I'll tell you, uh, my kids, uh, given that the plague has been ravaging the land for two years and people have saw, seen fit to ignore all of the needs of humanity, you can't quite trust who you're getting candy from. So I bought candy for home and okay. I've got a bowl, a bowl to stick outside on a table okay. yeah. and my kids and I well my kids I had them write uh, what do you call it uh, stupid jokes uh, based on Halloween and they're trick or treating this year with masks on of course yeah. um, but they will be handing out dumb jokes and not accepting candy so okay. we're going to be okay. tricking not treating Okay. Yeah. they'll have candy when we get home it'll be, it'll be okay. great so okay. that's cool. that is the plan, and I will date this one more little bit across the AP wire today. Sometime in the early afternoon, came the news that in fact the FDA has improved has approved the five to eleven shot. So we're getting praise, that much closer. Praise every celestial power. Yep. Yep. Like like I'm I'm happy enough to hear that that i'm i'm not even going to like engage in my teamism mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which so. you know as a catholic you know that's tough yeah i mean that's literally you know your that's brand tough. yeah yeah pretty much yeah, yeah. but so very cool yeah very so cool. exciting news so but yeah. next time we won't date it so the the okay. next episode may well be four months from now and no one will possibly know 
Yeah, no. Yeah. There'll be there'll be no hint. None whatsoever. None. We'll leave Easter eggs, um, but not hints. There you go. So yeah. Hey, oh, oh, nicely done. I like it. So um, I got a question for you. Yeah. Um, and this is gonna this might seem kind of random, but mm-hmm. um, what do you think in terms of narrative? Mm-hmm. In terms of plot lines, in terms of, I'm even going to go so far as to say general writing quality. Okay. What do you think was the best Trek series? Um. Okay, so series or which one contained the best episodes? I'm going to say over, over the course of the series was mm-hmm. the consistently best uh, narrative. Mm, okay, so not characters. So we're not we're not dealing with archetypical stuff. We're oh, talking. We can, okay, yeah. I mean, because I mean, there's could, it, it's kind of like character development in that, but right. but the, but you're still talking overall narrative. You're not saying, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, yeah, I'm not saying like because like right, like, um, like not which one of next... them had the best character. That's obviously yeah. Ensign Kim. Um, but yeah. you're saying, <laughs> uh, but you're saying which one? Well, yeah. Uh, <laughs> you're saying which one uh, was the best narrative was, overall? Was the, uh, overall, yeah. Okay, well, yeah. I'm going to qualify that by saying that uh, TNG was a collection of bottle episodes with a minimal uh, plot that uh, yeah. that uh, and character development. You had yeah. archetypes yeah, yeah. in a bottle, yeah. and that was wonderful, and and yeah. led to the best episode I've ever seen, or episodes even. I would say top ten episodes, at least seven of them are TNG. That okay, said, yeah, I would say fair. overall plot, overall yeah, um, yeah. narrative per your question would have to be Deep Space Nine. Okay, mm-hmm. and see, I was expecting it to either be DS Nine or Voyager, uh, and and probably DS Nine. Voyager was the okay. best idea, but yeah, it well, was it, yeah, all the archetype gonna... archetypes, but in pastel, yeah. so it didn't work. For me. <laughs> like that's it's now with less charisma, you know. It's it was. <laughs> It was the wish version. Oh, oh <laughs> that hurts. It's true. Uh, it's not. It's not wrong. No, I mean I'm not arguing. It's a damn shame. It, but it's it's a painful truth. But at the same time, uh, it, we're it leaving was, out was, Discovery with with or not Discovery Enterprise with Doctor yeah. Flox, which was hands down my favorite Doctor. Oh yeah, yeah. I yeah, I can totally I can totally see that. Yeah. yeah. Um. Okay. So so I ask that question mm-hmm. because of course the big. The big way in which DS9 departed from everything else that had come before in mm-hmm. Trek and and the way that it still kind of stands out in mm-hmm. comparison to everything else that's been Trek since uh, is it was the first Trek series to involve a real multi-season overarching storyline. Yep. Okay, the Dominion War. I, I have a theory as to why, but I also don't want to stomp on your toes. So I'm going to let yeah, okay. you go and so, just so, tell so me no. when you want my theory. Okay. Well, yeah. in a minute, yeah. in, in, in a moment, I'm okay. going to want to hear your thesis here in a second because it, it, it may dovetail with mine. Okay. But um, I'll just so confirm. Just... I'll just be like, yeah, that was what I had to say, too. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, no, I'm, I'm, uh, we'll get to it. Sure, sure. So, so it it was it introduced the idea of an overarching plot mm-hmm. line mm-hmm. or an overarching mm-hmm. you know uh, story with with genuine long term character development. People having a genuine arc 
it was also, of course, the first time that we saw people in Starfleet um, really not getting along with each other. Yeah. In a really meaningful way and having yeah. genuine personal conflict. I would even say go, go so far as to say unreconcilable differences on a yes. moral level. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Because, um, you know, the, the, the canon prior to that had been, well, you know, it's, it's the far future and, and, you know, we've, we've all evolved past that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because Roddenberry being bizarre, cuckoo lander, utopianist. Anyway. Yeah. I'm, I'm opinionating, but you know, uh, or, o- opining, opining, <laughs> opining but I like opinionating too. Anyway. Well, it's because, teacher. yeah. An, an Irishman doesn't find a pine tree, so I can understand. Okay, they nice. they might find, however, the things that work in machinery because the Scots came over there and drafted yeah. some of them. So opinioning yeah. would make sense, but opining yeah, no. would make no sense. Yeah. 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 So that's where you get the phrase "Oh, for Christ, Christ's sake," because that's the uh, that was one of the first bishops of Ireland. Um, he would move diagonally and say, "Oh, for Christ's sake," and they'd be like, "Why are you telling us okay. your name, Father?" So yeah. okay, yeah. all right, nice. nice. Thank you completely derailed my train of thought um it's also why uh barack was like the 13th irish president barack obama yeah yeah oh obama obama okay so the the what i'm trying to get to here (laughs) is uh so so ds9 started in 93 yep at the exact same time. Oh, and, and the other big thing that was different was the setting of DS9. Yes, which is why I love right? the turn of phrase you had earlier about how it stands out and how yeah. it was a huge departure because yeah. pay that off. Yeah, yeah, because it's on a space station, right. ladies and gentlemen, that that stands. <laughs> right, but also is <laughs> a departure. Place, or floats. But it, but is also yes is a departure and other people depart from it. It's um, it reminded me of Inherit the Wind where he said perhaps you have moved far away by standing still. Oh, there you go. Yeah, nice. So, mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. Um. So so okay. DS9 instead of station. instead of yeah. following following the peregrinations of you know a starship across mm-hmm. the galaxy, mm-hmm. we have a station where we don't have the luxury of getting away from what happened last week. That's right. Or each you other. Know, or each other. You can't go on away yeah, missions that yeah. much. It's like, yeah, no, I'm yeah, no. pissed off at you and I have to see you on the next shift. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're, you're, no, you're fucked. They're, they're, they're literally on a star base. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Um, and so now the reason I bring all of this up is because DS9, of course, started in January of 93. Yes. And in February of 93, mm-hmm. um, there's another uh, iconic, uh, I think, seminal, very important, uh, and to me, much beloved, and, and much beloved of a, of a great many science fiction fans, there was another series that had a remarkable number of parallels to DS9, uh, and that is Babylon 5. So uh, the the both series are uh, remarkably similar, as we've had conversations about this in the past, mm-hmm. and uh, you've you've goaded me uh, <laughs> because I'm a huge Babylon fan, Babylon Five fanboy. And you know the thing is, um, what I'm what I'm going to say here is, yes, they they happened 
almost like like this this is more an example of deep impact and armageddon happening in the same year i was going to bring up that exact comparison yeah yeah it, lateral and, and thinking I, they both read the same book yeah they, yeah they both read the same book they were both they were both living they were both swimming in the same water breathing the same air mm-hmm. um and the thing is i think my thesis and mm-hmm. and now you can tell me whether whether you're you're on the same lines or not mm-hmm. my thesis is that we're talking about 1993 we're talking about the very beginning of the clinton era mm-hmm. and the nature of the way the world had changed in a very short period of time changed the identity of or or didn't even really actually change the identity of of mainstream dominant culture america but it left mainstream dominant culture america wondering who we were hmm. in the face of a world that was very rapidly changing Oh, and okay. And so that led to this really dramatic kind of departure. And specifically in the case of Babylon 5, because the, the thing is, the, the, the assertion I'm going to make here might piss off some, some Trek fans. But DS9 was uh, seminal for Trek in a bunch of ways that we just talked about. But the Dominion War was not an idea that Greg Bear and the other guys behind the series like had in mind from the moment they sat down to start writing it. They said, I want to do something very different with Trek. Mm-hmm. J. Michael Straczynski, JMS, mm-hmm. um, started out with a five-season-long, no, no, this is going to be a novel mm. in the form of a TV series, and I know how the story is going to go. Okay. And I have it all planned out. And so from day one, mm-hmm. from the from the moment he started developing individual scripts and screenplays, he he had an arc in mind. And so it was intended to be not a bottle episode show. Mm-hmm. And if you watch Bab Five, there there really are not any 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 real bottle episodes. There there are ones that you can look at and you know, the, the scale of the scope of the story is very localized or relatively small, but there's, there's always a place they fit inside the greater arc of the story. Okay. If that makes sense. They're, they're, yeah. they're always, they're always part of the grand narrative arc. And so that's, that's a claim that, you know, Bab five fans make is that it's the first science fiction TV show to involve this mm-hmm. kind of long arc plot right out of the gate. And my, again, my assertion is this was, this was a brand new kind of idea mm-hmm. that actually made Bab 5 kind of hard to pitch because studio executives, you know, want everything to be, anybody can jump in at any moment and start and, and watch an episode of the show and not have to worry about like knowing what happened before or right. you know, any of that kind of stuff. And now we're in an age where the medium has changed. And I think, uh, Bab five and, and DS nine DS nine more so because it was a, it was a bigger property attached to the, the Trek universe, which is a, is a much bigger thing, Mm -hmm. uh, in the, in the media ecosystem. But I think they both paved the way for the kind of storytelling that we're seeing now and that we kind of take for granted. Mm hmm. 
you know, I think um, without Bab 5, I don't know if the overarching, like, uh, uh, lore episodes of X-Files would have been as doable or that they would have been able to get away with, with having, you know, uh, the, the lore arc Mm-hmm. For for X Files, which also had a whole bunch of Monster of the Week episodes. Don't get me wrong, but but you kind of see what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. So now, what what was your since well, since yeah, I, I sure. can tell from your reaction that that we we went in different directions on this. What, what were we you did we we planning on saying we were braided together for a bit of it though. So um, I also think that it was as as are many things a product of its time. However, I think not having seen Babylon 5 at all. I think both are uh, <laughs> indicative of uh, an America-centric hegemony. Hegemony? Okay. He- he- hegemony. Hegemony. That hegemonic uh, existence. Because while the Clinton presidency was getting underway, and we didn't quite know what that would lead to or entail, um, it was, in fact, a break from the Cold War. And it was a break from the Cold War in which America had ostensibly won. Um, And uh, the feeling in 1993 was, in fact, that uh, that exact feeling. We had won. What does this brave new world entail with us at the top as being the sole power? Now, I think having a space station in the middle of nowhere in DS9 guarding something important is very much uh, a metaphor for that. I also okay. think, however, that uh, given the the hegemony was a thin veil, again, yeah. very America-centric, but if you really look at what's going on in the world, the whole place is, is – is, uh, there's spot fires going off everywhere, which I do think that the producers were trying to point out um, in, in DS9. I don't know about Bab 5, but I assume that there are factions of people fighting each other, but I do know that in DS9, you had – a just recently liberated by their own efforts uh former refugee population uh yes. fighting against their uh their former military suzerains um and all of the unstable that is, that's that is yeah. a subplot in bab 5 okay and all of the instability we'll that it. comes from oh shit now we're equals with the people we used to oppress and oh shit now we're equals with the people we used to resist and oh shit, we can't just go killing each other now. That instability. What do we, what do, we do? Right. Like yeah. how do how do we normalize relations? That that instability is kind of a stand-in for the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. So you could focus on Keiko starting a school. You could focus on Nurse Ratchet. Um <laughs> or you could focus on everything that's going on with all of these refugees. So okay. I also think, though, that the reason that uh, DS9 was such a departure was because it was a space station, which means the plot always has to come to it. Always. Which means you have characters that will develop. You have a plot arc, as a result, moving through the space station. So in many ways, mm-hmm. um, things in the 90s were happening to America, in American eyes. Um, and, okay. And so... Again, that's that's, that's yeah. an analogy. That's a subconscious analogy I had not considered, but I think mm-hmm. that's profound. That in the '90s things were happening to us in our mind. Because yeah, I yeah, guarantee I mean, you, speaking 
Haiti would be like, no, y'all happened to us no, again. You <laughs> happened you happen to us one more time. Yeah. One so. more <laughs> Saddam Hussein definitely would not argue that, that, <laughs> right. that happened exactly. to us. Anybody where there were sanctions. Um, you know, <laughs> yeah. there's a lot right. of America right. yeah. stumbling in and, and you know, uh, doing dumb missile, things. Missile strikes on Somalia. Like, right. they're not, they're not yeah. going to argue. Yeah. And then, and then, yeah. what happened? They killed nineteen of our guys. What happened? You know. Oh my god! Yeah. You're like, yeah. Uh, well, or, or, you know. You know. Yeah. And so, also, also, just real quick, because DS9 does its uh, Area 34 thing or whatever group it was, like Group 32. I forget exactly what, but you sector had Sector 32, Sector or something yeah, like that. Sector 30 something. Uh, Geek timers, let us know. Um, but uh, you you had that internal rotting instability, and yeah. at the same time you had Timothy McVeigh, Waco. Um, mm-hmm. You had the yeah. first bombing of the World Trade Center. Um, yep, truck bomb. So you had like lots of internal stuff. If you looked, it was all there still, but it was real easy to just focus on. Oh, hey, it's it's they've got Wharf. You know, and, yeah, yeah, and oh, hey, they have a travel mug like for Racticino. So like yeah. it was, it was easy to look just at the gauze, but you could easily pull up the gauze oh, and yeah. see a well, whole yeah. bunch of stuff, and and find yeah. a whole a whole festering onion, yeah, underneath it. You yeah. know, pull, pull away the bandage, and oh my god, how mm-hmm. how did you implant an onion in this thing? Yeah, um, yeah. and so I think what's interesting is. And I think it says a lot about the showrunners and the writers. Mm-hmm. DS9 was very close to overtly political. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm going to take this thing from the headlines and I'm going to write an episode oh, yeah. about, about this. Oh, yeah. And Bab 5 was, was not ever that on the nose. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I'll get into like the themes that Straczynski was really clearly kind of kind of aiming for. But I, I want to talk a little bit about, you know, why why I love the show so much before mm-hmm. before we get into too much of all that. Um, the first thing is um, Bab Five, I think, has some of, if not the best character writing mm. in space opera, at the very least space opera, if, if not all of science fiction. OK. Um, and, uh, two of the, two of the prime examples of, of the character writing on the show are Londo Malari, uh, played by Peter Jurassic, uh, the late Peter Jurassic, who sadly is no longer with us. Uh, Londo Malari is the cynical, deeply world weary, very sarcastic, um, uh, semi-alcoholic, um, and deeply, deeply, deeply patriotic mm-hmm. ambassador of the Centauri Empire. He is this—he is this wonderfully flawed character, uh, who who Jurassic just in in injects so much charisma and so much uh, life and in, internal life into him. Um, earlier, when we were when we were sound testing the mics, you'll remember. Uh, you said, you know, say words like you always do, and, and part mm-hmm. of what came mm-hmm. out of my mouth was, "My dear Mister Garibaldi." Uh, oh, it's Peter funny because I thought you were quoting from like a period piece of like some sort of uh, continental Europe spy thing. 
Oh, oh no, no. <laughs> I'm, I'm quoting Londo Molari. Because because the the Centauri Empire was very much modeled on the Russian Empire. And so when when Peter Jurassic read the character background on the script, he developed this very arch, I mean almost cheeseball mm-hmm. uh, uh, accent for for Londo that that just there there was there was so much going on in in every word that came out of his mouth. He there was this this expressiveness going on. And the thing is, I know that from what I'm saying right now, if you haven't read, hear, heard the series or seen right. the series, you're just thinking, okay, well, you know, he did a funny voice. What the fuck? But the thing is, Malari starts out the series being um, like you look at him, you're like, oh, okay, clearly you're a bad guy. Mm-hmm. Like, like obviously you're the representative of the decadent empire. And like you're always doing this, this, you know, Byzantine scheming and, and you're, you know, up to no good and you're always, you know, and and you're mean to your secretary, Virkoto, who's another amazing, amazing character. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you you have moments with Londo where you realize why it is he's acting the way he is. And his whole motivation is that he is a deeply damaged, deeply disappointed idealist who wants the best for his people, who wants to see his empire, his homeland, mm-hmm. you know, flourish and, and, you know, regain, regain its greatness. And he's not, he, he has not developed enough, uh, empathy at the beginning of the series mm-hmm. to understand how bad that is for everybody else. Okay. And for the sake of, he, he makes terrible decisions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he makes, makes a lot of very bad decisions. Um, with, for him, what are the best of reasons? And you find out that like, he actually deeply cares about, uh, Veer and he wants to try to protect Veer from the the Byzantine scheming and machinations of of the imperial court back home and mm-hmm. you know and 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 we we get because of because of the overall writing and because of his role in the story he winds up becoming he goes from being kind of a semi-comedic bad guy to being kind of a tragic figure who you really sympathize with and really care about by the end of the series Okay. And his his opposite number is Jakar, portrayed by the lamented uh, late uh, Andreas Katsoulis. It's it's one of the one of the saddest things about Babylon Five is so many of these actors did such wonderful work and they are no longer with us. Um, and Jakar, uh, first of all, is much more visibly alien to to us based on his his makeup uh, than than Londo. Uh, he has kind of a kind of a patterned reptilian kind of look to him, mm-hmm. and a lot of and a lot of prosthetics. Uh, Londo looks like an alien because he he's has got the a funny hair coming got, up, got a too, funny right? got a funny hairdo, right? Yeah. But otherwise, he looks mostly, and he's got kind of pointy teeth. But mostly, otherwise, he looks human. Mm-hmm. Jakar has you know red contacts in, and he's got you know more more kind of pronounced prosthetics on, and and he looks more alien. Mm-hmm. And he is the earnest, honorable, and really, really, really angry 
Narn ambassador. And at the very beginning of the series, along with a whole bunch of other background conflicts, the Narns have just won their independence from the Centauri Empire. They got their homeworld back. Okay. And so Jakar and Londo are blood enemies. They right. hate each other. Um, and uh, by the end of the series, though, it would be too much to say they wind up becoming friends, but they wind up becoming enemies who deeply, deeply respect one another. Okay. They, they wind up, they wind up having, having a relationship that's like, no, no, our interests are diametrically opposed, but I know you. And I know that on like everything, but this one thing, I can trust your word. Okay. You know? Sure. And, and spoiler well, alert, yeah. I'm, I'm going to, I mean, the series, you know, hasn't been on the air and, you know, 20 plus years. So it's not really that much of a spoiler, but at the end of the series, Jakar winds up killing Malari, but he winds up doing it essentially because Malari tells him to. And there's, there's okay. space opera, there's space opera backstory and ancient aliens and all kinds of stuff and, and things going on in the background there. Mm-hmm. But they they wind up being again uh, uh, the best of enemies, as it were, mm-hmm. and that's and that's an arc that they pay for over the course of the series. It's not just this you know suddenly we respect each other. It's no no over the course of everything that happens, they wind up having to work together because there are bigger threats. They wind up. Um, actually being in situations where they have to deal with one another and get to know one another. Mm-hmm. And so, again, even though their interests are often opposed, and in some cases diametrically opposed, mm-hmm. they they have a respect for one another that they earn over the course of the entire series. And and that's that's two of the, you know, characters on the show. And... Like then there's Delen, who is the Minbari ambassador, uh, who is a high priestess and a mystic because this is definitely space opera and we have kind of you know high tech magic going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, she has her own story arc. Uh, the the doctor of the station winds up having his whole own arc where he develops a, a drug addiction over the course of the series and has to get, get clean. Mm-hmm. The uh, chief of security is at the beginning of the series, a recovering alcoholic uh, who winds up getting f- thinking he's doing the right thing, thinking he's being loyal to earth. He winds up getting suborned and turned against his friends, which then causes him to lose his position as head of security and go back on the bottle and then wind up saving everybody. Mm-hmm. But he and everybody else can forgive him, but he can't forgive himself. Okay. I mean, it, and, and the thing is, they are at, at the time, because again, DS9 was, was starting at the same time as this, and I don't think DS9 committed as much to this. Mm-hmm the theme you're seeing here is these are all damaged people. These are all folks who, who have noble characteristics mm-hmm. and they also are like all of us. They are deeply flawed. Right. And like DS nine 
I don't, I don't know. I mean, <clears throat> Cisco certainly had to make some grim decisions. He was and live, and he, live with the results of those. He was an inherently good man, though. He was yeah. a tragic person dealing with when you first see him um, still deeply traumatized by the loss of the love of his life. Yeah. But he was not a flawed man. Yeah. He had an obstacle. And I think yeah. that's kind of true about and I'm trying to think of any characters that were actually flawed. And I don't even think your main antagonists were particularly flawed so much as they they had obstacles and they just, some of them chose evil, you know. But I don't think yeah. that, that was necessarily a flaw of Kai Wen. I don't yeah. think, you know, she wasn't, because a flaw tells me, like you said, uh, an alcoholic who can't forgive himself but everyone else forgives. There's like an internal struggle, whereas yeah. Kai Wen's struggle was, it wasn't really a struggle. There wasn't there wasn't much of a conscience to struggle against. It was she'd already and, and I don't mean that as like yeah. you know she didn't have a conscience. She absolutely did. Um, but she centered herself as being the thing doing the right thing. Um, and yeah. same thing, quite honestly, with um, Goldicott. Um, yeah. He was driven entirely by his ego, but I don't think that that was particularly flawed. I think the closest you come to that is Garrick, but he's just mm-hmm. more complex than he is flawed. Yeah. So, yeah, which yeah, which is and, very Star Trek. I mean, they have yeah. archetypical, some would call that wooden, um, and not unfairly sometimes, but they have archetypical characters. And DS9 yeah. took those archetypes and they were like, oh, we're going to do more than one color to this archetype. We're gonna we're gonna shade the edges. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna add we're gonna add some depth. We're gonna mm-hmm. do we're doing gonna, gonna do a little uh, chiaroscuro here to mm-hmm. you know we're we're gonna we're gonna work on some shading. Yeah, and and maybe add a touch of a contrasting color right here. Mm-hmm. But yeah, and but and it, it seems to me like the characters you're describing are genuinely like you could root for one and feel bad about it, and you could root against mm-hmm. one. And feel bad about that too. Yeah, and you could watch one mm-hmm. who you knew was going to make a bad decision. Like you mm-hmm. knew, mm-hmm. you know. I know, I know for a fact that you're going to agree to, to you're, you're going to agree to make a deal with Morden. Mm-hmm. And I know you shouldn't. And I'm going to get into who Morden is here in a minute. Sure. But uh, you know, you're gonna you're gonna make, you're gonna make a deal because you want it so bad. And and you're going to know it's a bad decision and you're going to do it anyway. And I'm going to feel really bad for you, even though I kind of hate you for doing it. Yeah. You know, yeah. uh, or, or, you know, um, I'm really, really hoping that you're going to do the right thing and you do the right thing and that's awesome. But then you have to pay a really critical consequence for doing the right thing. And that sucks. And Mm -hmm. that's going to push you two episodes from now to wind up doing a stupid thing. Right. Whereas Cisco had the episode that you love and, and I like it too, where he recounts the whole thing where he kills the Romulan ambassador and, and keeps them from coming in on the side of the dominion. Um, and Garrick says basically like, yeah, you, you averted tragedy and all it cost was, a Romulan ambassador's life and the self-respect of one captain, I'd call that a pretty good price to pay. You don't really see Cisco drinking himself into a stupor afterwards. Nope. You don't see him not being able to move on from that decision because ultimately he didn't fail in some way. He mm-hmm. certainly, you know, he the ends justified the means and he was uncomfortable with it. 
Um, but he's, and he hated and he hated the fact. Yeah, but he didn't hate himself. Yeah, and I think that's a, a very important difference. Same thing as when he sent Jennifer off to jail. Like he sent her to prison yeah. for like two or three seasons, and yeah. it was like, okay, no, he had to do what he had to do. Like there was very much a a a, a very clear moral compass for I think every character, including Quark. Um, yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You know. So Quark, it just Quark. yeah. As I'm, yeah, no, I, I don't, I don't think you need to qualify it at all. Definitely mm-hmm. for Quark, it was, it was a blue and orange moral compass, right? You know? And I mean, same thing with, uh, with, with Brunt. Like, I'm trying to, you know, Brunt, FCA. Uh, I cannot think <laughs> of a single character who had any extended screen time whatsoever who was not, or who was a failure at all. Even even Alexander, yeah. shitty Klingon that he was, had redemption. <laughs> like they yeah. all, yeah, yeah. There's there's yeah. not a single one. Uh, Gowron, uh, and Gowron, Kaiwen, and uh, Goldicott all were they they made the wrong decision, but never did they think that it was the wrong decision. Oh no! Yeah, and the thing is, and the thing is, there are characters like that on mm-hmm. Babylon Five. But the difference between the Babylon Five moral universe and the Star Trek moral universe mm-hmm. is those people who make the wrong decision think they're in the right and don't have any doubt about it at all mm-hmm. are unequivocally monsters. Mm-hmm. In in JMS's universe, okay, um, because you know it's it's yeah he he has he has a much more he has a much bigger interest in moral ambiguity mm-hmm. of not not of the well you know is he a good guy is he a bad guy we don't know but of the okay I see everybody sees themselves as the good guy. Mm-hmm. But they're going to wind up failing themselves, right? Because we all do, you know. Yeah. Um, and so I mean, I mean, just just the character arcs and the and the complexity, and the again the the moral complexity mm-hmm. of the characters is is incredible, and yeah. the. Yeah. So so the cast of characters is huge. Number mm-hmm. one. Um, I've only talked about a couple of them, but I'm going to wind up talking about more of them as, as we go on. But <clears throat> it has a vast cast of characters because it is epic space opera. Mm-hmm. So you kind of have to. Um, and and it truly was an ensemble show. Um, Bruce Boxleitner's character, uh, Sheridan, uh, is is the kind of, you know, he's the Kirk figure. Okay. But, um, and, and he winds up, you know, kind of, kind of being, being the, he, he fulfills the role of being kind of the chosen one of, of the overall arc kind of, uh, at a couple of places, but every other character has their moments and no, no character, even ones who only show up, they wind up having parts to play in the story that resonate for seasons afterward Mm -hmm. because you, as the viewer, you get attached to them. Sure. And the other characters all have a relationship with them of one kind or another. And Mm -hmm. so when something happens to one of them, 
we see the effects of that over a long period of time. And that, that brings me to the next thing I, I love about the show mm-hmm. is the scale of it. Um, when, when Straczynski sat down to, to write Babylon 5, he was uniting two ideas that he'd had in his head for a while. One of them was, you know what, I'm going to do a show on a, on a star base, on a, on a space station. Rather okay. than you know being on the ship that's traveling around doing all that, right. everybody's done that. I'm going to do one on a space station. He he, you know, had kind of had that germ of an idea floating around in his head for a while, mm-hmm. and then he had this other idea for a, for an epic science fiction series about an interstellar war between multiple races all being manipulated by older ancient alien races. And he said, you know what? I think I can figure out how to tie these two things together and do both at once. And that's mm. when he sat down and started writing Babylon 5. Nice. And so what that means is the scale of the show is simultaneously very small mm-hmm. because we're all stuck in a, you know, I don't space remember station. how many, you know, mile-long tubular space station. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the same time, it's vastly epic because – there's this huge titanic war going on between the Vorlons and the Shadows. Spoiler alert. And they're manipulating all the younger races to do the fighting in it. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we have this, this, you know, vast epic kind of scale. And what that means is from episode to episode, you have this wonderful ability for the stakes to stay high. Mm-hmm without everything always having to be about the end of the universe Mm -hmm. because we're on a space station. Everybody is literally, you know, cheek to jowl with everybody else. And so, you know, the, the issues that security is having with a particular group of refugees who are a, uh, stuck in a transport bay Mm -hmm. are going to affect everybody. Right. And so, we can we can focus on how Garibaldi is who is your hard bitten PI character essentially transported into space. You know how how is he going to navigate solving this problem and finding out you know solving the murder mystery? Mm-hmm. Uh, and the stakes of that are just as high as you know, uh, is Sheridan going to succeed in uh, you know convincing? the the envoys from you know fill in the name of alien race to join the effort to fight against the shadow fleets like you know one of them has this huge grand scale the other one is this very very small mm-hmm. personal story mm-hmm. but the emotional stakes are just as high right right and and so that because you've heard me you know bitch and moan about you know particularly supernatural like being the example of this of like okay well now now we got to get bigger Mm-hmm. Like we can't, you know, in order in order for the stakes to stay high, we got to go bigger. We got to go, but no, you don't have to go bigger. Make me care about the characters, and the stakes will be just as high. And mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. the series did that brilliantly, while juxtaposing these these huge, you know, Tolkien esque space battles with, again, you know, drama aboard the station. And then, along with that. Uh, kind of the third thing for me that really that really makes me a huge uh, fan of, of Babylon 5 is the tone of the show. Um, 
because again, there's this wonderful juxtaposition of very everyday kind of humdrum, you know, uh, daily life mm-hmm. kind of stuff between, between characters that still has again, emotional stakes because we care about these people. Mm-hmm. And then every so often, and it, it got more common as the seasons went on and the, and the outside battles got bigger and bigger. Um, you wind up having a moment where things get very seriously epic, very fast, and the dialogue matches that. So there, there are two quotes I'm going to give here that are two of my favorite kind of examples of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, JMS uh, later on went on to write for comic books, and, and you can tell when he's writing because the dialogue gets this way. <laughs> Uh, it's sometimes amazing and, and a Kate, it's often amazing and occasionally a little bit gnarmy, but mm-hmm. so there's this, there's this moment, um, I'm now forgetting, I'm blanking on which season it is, but, um, the station, which is, uh, ostensibly an earth force space station okay. has uh, seceded from earth governance because Earth's government has been taken over by an authoritarian dictator and Sheridan and the Earth Force folks who follow him have said, you know, fuck you, Antifa forever. No. Mm-hmm. And they've seceded. Well, um, Earth Force ships warp, essentially, come through come through the gate into, into firing range of the station. Mm-hmm. And um, Delenn as the Minbari ambassador who also happens to be a member of the Minbari ruling council is aboard a Minbari battle cruiser. When these earth force ships show up, Delenn gets, gets on the comm and says to them, this is ambassador Delenn of the Minbari Babylon five is under our protection, withdraw or be destroyed. Earth force officer responds negative. We have authority here. Do not force us to engage your ship. Delenn's response why not? Only one human captain has ever survived a battle with Minbari fleet. He is behind me. You are in front of me. If you value your lives, be somewhere else. <laughs> and then one by one, the Earth Force ships fold out. <laughs> nice. Um, and I'll, I'll get to the background of how exactly she's telling the truth there in a minute. And now I got to talk to you about Mr. Morden. So, uh, in, from, from the very beginning of the series, we have these, we have these two enigmatic figures on, on the station. One of them is ambassador Kosh of the Vorlons. Mm-hmm. And everybody knows the Vorlons are this incredibly ancient race. Nobody knows very much about them. They're terribly enigmatic. And, um, Kosh is always wearing, what he refers to as an encounter suit. So he looks like a robot. Okay. But, but it's like he's wearing an atmosphere. He's wearing a, right, a, a suit right. for his own atmosphere. And what, what you wind up finding out again, spoiler alert, the show's over 20 years old is that, uh, he wears the encounter suit because the Vorlons are at least partially energy beings. Okay. And when he's, and when he's not wearing the encounter suit, Everybody who looks at him sees something different. The humans looking at him see an angel. Mm-hmm. The other alien races who see him see their version of essentially an angel. <laughs> and Lando Malari refuses to tell anyone what it was he saw. Okay. 
which is a wonderful character moment. Like, uh, we, we don't, we don't talk about that on Centauri. Um, and so, so that's, that's the Vorlon ambassador. Well, at the beginning of the series, you you all have heard me now mention the shadows several times. At the beginning of the series, the shadows aren't there. Mm-hmm. But there is a human gentleman in a very slick suit named Mr. Morden, who's going around approaching everybody and asking them, what do you want? And it's very clear he, he, he talks about uh, the people he works for. Mm-hmm his benefactors and he says they can they can help you they can give you whatever it is you want you just you just have to make a deal and it's very interesting he's a very luciferian figure it's 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 kind of kind of amazing mm-hmm. so uh morden is going around trying to get everybody to make a deal kosh meanwhile always asks everybody at, at some point in a conversation with everybody kosh lo- looks at him with his one glowing red robotic looking eye and says in his synthesized voice, who are you? And that's, that's the thematic kind of pair of questions. Mm-hmm. So Morden goes up to Veer Cotto, who is the long suffering assistant under ambassador to Malari. And Veer looks at him. Morden, Morden says, what about you, Veer? What do you want? Veer looks him right in the eye and says, I'd like to live just long enough to be there when they cut off your head and stick it on a pike as a warning to the next ten generations that some too high a price. I want to look up into your lifeless eyes and wave like this. Can you and your associates arrange that for me, Mr. Morden? <laughs> Which is this wonderful moment for Veer because he's we see him as being this kind of schlubby, picked on kind of character. And in this moment, mm-hmm. it's like, no, no, fuck you. It's it's an amazing moment. Spoiler alert, he does actually get to do exactly that. Mm. In like five seasons later, he actually gets So they pay it off. Precisely that. And everybody they, they totally pay it off and everybody watching the show, like when it was, when it was coming out, you know, one week at a time, that was, I cannot tell you what a payoff that was. It was amazing. And, and so just with, with all of these things that I'm talking about, this is to me, one of the most, if not the most consistently best written science fiction shows ever. Um, I've already mentioned it was truly an ensemble story. Uh, Sinclair is the first commander of the station. The actor wound up having medical problems. He had to leave. And then Boxleiter came over and took over the station as, as commander Sheridan. Um, you know, they, they were the commanding character, but everybody had their own arc. All of the stories were emotionally compelling. And, um, it's just, it's, it's wonderful, wonderful stuff. Mm-hmm. Now, um, a little bit of background on, on like what, what the universe of Bab five looks like. So kind of to, to give a little context for anybody who's hasn't watched the show, mm-hmm. people who have watched the show are nodding along with me like, Oh yeah, yeah, no, I, I know what you're talking about. Oh yeah. it's a great moment, but for everybody else. So at the very beginning of the series, earth and the Mimbari have just ended a, a war and the Mimbari are thousands of years more technologically advanced than humanity is. Okay. 
humanity has figured out faster than light travel mm-hmm. using gates. And uh, they have, you know, energy weapons. The standard sidearm of security personnel is kind of a plasma pistol kind of thing called a, a PPG, pulse projection gun. Mm-hmm. Um, and Earth battleships are armed with, you know, huge gigawatt lasers, you know, laser cannon. But Earth ships look have this very distinct blocky square. We we built a skyscraper on its side in space, kind of look, and and gravity aboard human starships mm-hmm. is rotational. So when they go into battle, there'll be it's when when they show up in system, there'll be a whole system, a whole section of the ship that's rotating. Okay. And when they get ready to go into battle, they lock that into place and everybody aboard a human ship has to strap in. Mm-hmm. All of the other alien races have artificial gravity figured out. Okay, okay. so we're we're kind of the barbarians on the block. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's and and Mimbari ships are consistently faster. Their weapons are more accurate. They're like there's no there's no competition. But we wound up getting into a war with them mm-hmm. because uh, we we there there was a diplomatic misunderstanding, and uh, one of our ships. Uh, encountered a Mimbari ship. The Mimbari ship uh, opened all of its gun ports, mm-hmm. which our guys didn't understand was a gesture of, look, this is how we are armed, but we are not powering up our weapons. So, you know, we mean you no harm. And the crew of the human ship saw that, thought they were under attack, immediately opened fire, essentially ambushing the Mimbari mm-hmm. by the st- of the rest of the galaxy, ambushing the Minbari, destroying the ship. And then Minbari went, okay, fine, we're just going to wipe you the fuck out. Right. And on the verge of the Minbari overrunning Earth, they essentially surrendered. Like, on the verge of winning the war, the Minbari said, okay, war's over. We're going we're gonna to go home now. We're fucking off. Peace. And, okay. there was no, and there was no explanation. And one of the central mysteries for at least half of the first season, mm-hmm. I think all of the first, I think, it's, I think it's, it's a plot point. I want to say the plot point is kind of resolved at the end of season one. You kind of figure out what it is. Uh, but for the whole first season, there's this mystery of like, okay, the Mimbari soldier cast like want to kill all of us like all the fucking time. They, mm-hmm. they, they, you know, they remember – they, they like have almost this racial memory of, of the destruction of the ship, the, the one ship that started the whole war. Mm-hmm. They are furious at us and they all want to kill us. But the priest cast, which is the highest ranking cast in Mimbari society has them all on a very tight leash and won't let them. Okay. Why? Like they could have, they, they were winning. They were about to win. Right. And all of a sudden they just said, Nope, Nope, we're done. And I mean the, the the explanation winds up being space magic. It turns out that human souls and Minbari souls are identical. And so on a spiritual level, we're the same species. And so the Minbari Priest Council kept this a secret from literally everybody, including their own soldier caste, because mm-hmm. like the theological ramifications of it were too much for them to, you know, figure out how to deal with, but they said we can't keep killing them. And so they stopped the war. Okay. So that's that's humans in Mimbari. Then I've already mentioned the the Narns and the Centauri mm-hmm. having their back and forth. And mm-hmm. then in the background, in the background behind all of that, there are uh, a whole bunch of other 
lesser or, or smaller uh, non-human races that you see all the time mingling in, mm-hmm. in the star base with everybody else uh, aboard aboard the station. Uh, and they all, of course, they all have their kind of, you know, different interests and conflict. And then um, the, the Vorlons and the Shadows predate any and all other civilizations that you see on the show. And they were part of an earlier wave of civilizations that achieved essentially a higher level of consciousness and ascended to another kind of existence. Okay. And the other species all, you know, toddled off to the fifth dimension or whatever. And the, and the, the Vorlons and the shadows stayed behind to shepherd other races along the younger races. Mm -hmm. And the Vorlons want to see everyone cooperate and work together and come to solutions and evolve together peacefully Mm -hmm. on the other side the shadows believe in nature red and tooth and claw being the main force behind evolution and so they want to see strife and they want to see conflict because the strongest are going to advance Mm. okay it's going to speed evolution and so we have nurturing and order on one side and chaos and and rapacious destruction on the other and so thematically, that's kind of the big story of what's going on in the galaxy. In the background of Earth Force, mm-hmm. we have, first of all, uh, in, the, in the very first season, the president of the Earth Federation dies under mysterious circumstances, and we start thinking he might have somehow been assassinated. And the guy who takes over for him starts little bit by little bit doing stuff that looks more and more and more fashy. Okay. And so we have this encroaching uh, xenophobia because we just lost a war against an, an alien race and, you know, human supremacy. And we don't want to deal with all, we, we don't, we don't want to deal with all the rest of them. And so, right. uh, you know, they, they don't really want to have Bab five out there, but it's already been built. And, you know, so there's there's this xenophobic authoritarian government on Earth. Eventually, after the Shadow War, when once that gets resolved, then um, the forces of Bab Five and the and the not fascist Earth Force people then have to turn around and defeat the fascist forces on Earth in a civil war before the end of the series. And so those those are the big overarching themes and story arcs, and I'm simplifying a lot. I know yeah. other five fans are going to be listening to this like, you're totally leaving out Psycor, which I'm not totally leaving out Psycor because now I'm bringing it up. Um, the, the humanity is in the process of actually evolving into like the next step right before Ascension, which is more and more humans are becoming, are, are exhibiting psychic ability telepaths, empaths, psychokinetics, all that kind of stuff. Okay. And Psychor is the organization on Earth that trains young psychics. Basically, when you exhibit psychic powers sometime around puberty, Psychor shows up at your door and they say, 
This is all really terrifying to you. You're hearing everybody else's thoughts in your head. You don't know how to block them out. We're here to help. And they take you off to a school and they train you. And it's like the X-Men. Okay. Only we find out that it's like the X-Men if Charles Xavier were enslaving all of his students. So it's it's like the... What is that process called? It was... Uh... In the Ottoman Empire, they would take Serbian boys. Janissaries. Janissaries. Okay, I was right. That was the right term. So it's yeah. it's more yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, by the way, uh, Walter Koenig mm-hmm. plays Alfred Bester. The the or not Alfred Bester. I know the last name is Bester. I got to double check the the first mm-hmm. name because Alfred Bester was the science fiction author that the character was named for. But anyway, he he plays the head of Psychor. Uh, so so Chekhov much mm-hmm. older, mm-hmm. plays one of the most evil, sociopathic motherfucking bad guys you've ever seen in your life. Okay. And he does it chillingly well. Uh, uh, and, um, yeah, and again, Bester is a horrible, horrible villain. Mm-hmm. But Straczynski manages to do a really good job of writing him in a way that like, I totally understand why he thinks he's doing the right thing. And he's totally not morally conflicted about any of it. So he's a goddamn monster, Mm -hmm. you know? And, um, so, so there's the whole other, that's, that's another one of the major, major arcs kind of involved in the series is then figuring out, you know, what to do about Psychor. So, those those are the themes. That's what I love about the series. That's kind of an overview of the universe. So I think now is probably going to be a good place to pause sure. before we pick up with another episode on this. Uh, because now, having, having said all of that about the show, I mm-hmm. want to come back in our next episode, mm-hmm. back to my analysis and my thesis. And in order to do that, we're going to have to talk about in 1992 and 93 when the series was first being like really put to paper in earnest and then Mm -hmm. filmed. Yeah. 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 So based on what we have talked about so far, what do you think? I'm I'm maybe not going to ask you what you have gleaned. Yeah. Because that was a lot of water from a fire of hose. Um, Yeah. I mean, quite frankly, it was too complex for me to be able to follow not having watched it. Um, because there's so many names of, of things I have zero context for. Um, yeah. So, which, which is fine. There's, there's plenty of folks out there that have, that have watched it who are like, yeah, no, we're, we're following along. Um, I will say this though. Uh, I, I do think that it's, it's interesting the different approaches you and I take because I almost always end up front loading all the history of the thing before talking about the thing. And I'm yeah. really digging the talking about the thing first and mm. then I'll get the okay, history. Well, good. Um, because yeah. uh, it's just number one, it's a different approach than I take. And uh, I'm, I'm excited to see because the next part coming up is the history. I know that part. So then I'll start <laughs> to be able to like connect it to the things that you've said. And yeah. I'll be like, Oh, that's what you meant when you were talking about the, this, this guy doing this thing. Um, yeah. I also find it interesting that you've got alcoholics. Um, is is Babylon Five in the future, or is it in a different 
galaxy from us like and, and i know that there's humans and stuff like that but is it in a different yeah um, it is it is it is in our future okay it is the future. 23rd 2247 off the top of my head i think is the year wow okay so 23rd century okay. okay so i do think it's interesting that we we did manage to find some way to do gravity in space by spinning mm-hmm. shit that that's that's been a trope for movies dealing with uh, humans going into space from the 90s forward actually now that I think about it and probably from before but um but we still took alcoholism with us um <laughs> it's it's decidedly not a, a Roddenberry joint no yeah. yeah and 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 I mean my my biggest my own biggest takeaway about Bab five mm-hmm. is there is a very intense level of grounded humanity to it. Mm. Um, like one of the things to try to do space opera, but get some more of the technical scientific issues, right? Okay. Uh, but, but a big, a big thing about the show that makes me as much of a fan as I am is, you know, star Wars is, is is you know high fantasy in space you mm-hmm. know, nobody ever actually goes to the bathroom you know there's no right. you know uh it's 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 you know elves and and wizardry and all that and i love that immensely mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. star trek is what if the future was designed by apple yeah you know and it's and everything is beautiful and sleek and and the people are all pretty and they get along and and like you said the the characters have obstacles, but they're never flawed. Right. And I I really appreciate Straczynski's approach to no no they're all flawed. We're humans. Doesn't matter where we go, we're gonna be humans. And this is part of human nature. Mm-hmm. And so to me, there's a level of emotional resonance for Babylon Five that Star Trek never had for me. Sure. Yeah. That makes sense. If that makes sense. And I, and I don't mean that like as a dig against Trek, because I know that, you know, the, the utopian kind of, kind of nature of it and the aspirational nature of it is something that, that means an awful lot to an awful lot of people. And that's sure. awesome. But it, it never hit for me the same way that seeing, the characters of Babylon five struggle right. with themselves. Right. Like really resonated with me is like, Oh, okay. I'm a fuck up too. So like, I understand that. You mm-hmm. know? Um, so let, I mean, that's, that's my biggest. So let me ask you this. Uh, there. Yeah. The name Babylon five, is it the fifth of something or is it the fifth or is it? Just... Oh shit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So there, there were originally, a number of Babylon stations that were built. Okay, and, so it's a type and, of station, and they were a sequential number, and this is the only one left from a war. Yes. Okay. Uh, Got it. Well, the, the rest of them weren't destroyed in a war. They <laughs> okay. they had they had mysterious things happen to them. Oh, that kind of gets gets sure. gets revealed later on. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. Um. But and, yeah. But it. Okay. And I'll and I'll get into I'll, yeah. I'll talk about that at the beginning of the next episode because it's an interesting ju- juxtaposition. Okay. To Trek. And they're and all kind of called kind of response to Roddenberry. Okay, and they're all Sorry. called Babylons, 
Is this because they're enormous trading? They're designed to be huge trading hubs or because they love yes. the color blue? Oh, okay. So it's very cosmopolitan. It's very much, okay, got it, got it. Cool, okay. Uh, well, uh, what you reading lately? What am I reading lately? Um, student work, God help me. Ugh. Um, and, and for the last several days, um, everything I could, I could scrounge up to, to try to, to get, you know, facts down, uh, for writing this podcast. Um, <laughs> so, uh, actually, but I will say, mm-hmm. uh, in, in the moments, uh, where I've had, uh, time to read anything, I have been actually, uh, reading, uh, creepypastas on no sleep on reddit what are creepypastas okay well um the short explanation is they are uh short spooky stories that are intended to try to go viral in one way or another oh okay like so one one page stories of like one or, shit. One or two page yeah. stories sometimes they, they wind up going for longer sometimes they turn into series and uh every year like an idiot, I wind up going to um, the, the other thing I've been reading is I wind up going to Jezebel.com, the pop culture politics website mm-hmm. for the feminist bent. I wind up going to Jezebel.com and every year they have a scary story contest. And one of their stipulations is uh, it has to be true or you at least have to present it as though it is something okay. that happened to you. And, and then, you know, at the end of the month, around Halloween, close to Halloween, they wind up posting the, the top 10 ones that got the most votes from readers, mm-hmm. you know, and every year I know that it's going to give me trouble falling asleep and it's going to, you know, make my overactive imagination act up, but I still, it's schmuck bait. I still wind up going and reading them because some of them are wonderfully evocative and really well put together. Um, so yeah, that's, that's what I've been reading when I've, when I've had moments to, to read for entertainment. How about you? Uh, you know, actually, this week I just finished reading a wonderful play, um, and uh, the author's name is escaping me um, right now. And as soon as I said that, I lost the uh, the title. The of it title, too. and it it won the Pulitzer. I hate when that. I it, hate when that happens. Yeah, it won the Pulitzer too. It's um, so I won't I won't share that apparently because uh, <laughs> no reason for people to play twenty questions. I started reading Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf though. Okay. By Edward Albee. Um, yeah. And so because I finished reading Twilight a little bit ago, Twilight being the play, not yeah. not sparkly vampires. Uh, yeah. Um, but I finished reading Twilight. I have to do an episode about that at some point. Sure. Um, but uh, that was really fun, or not fun. That was really a good play. So now I've started reading. Uh, Who's afraid of Virginia Woolf? So I can't, nice. I can't tell you if I recommend it yet or not. Um, but yeah, that's that's what I've been reading. The, the so. bits of it, I've never actually read the whole thing, and I've never mm-hmm. actually watched the whole film. But the parts mm-hmm. of it that I've seen look exhausting. That is a really good way to put it. So far. <laughs> I, like and I'm 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 only like two two I'm not even into the second act, um and I don't even know what the structure is I don't know if it's a five or a three or a one, um but oh. it's uh yeah it's it's quite something um okay it's heavy it's cool. very heavy yeah well yeah so yeah. yeah so that's that's what I've got going on uh cool well where can people find you on the social media I can be found on the social media at eh Blaylock on Twitter. 
and at uh, Mr. Blaylock on TikTok and Instagram. And where can they find you, sir? Uh, you can find me at Duh Harmony, two H's in the middle, um, at both Insta and the Twitter. So those are good places to find me. You can also find me every Tuesday night, or not every, the first Tuesday of every month uh, until both of my kids get all their shots. Uh, but the first Tuesday of every month, you can find me uh, online at twitch.tv forward slash capital puns uh, as capital punishment has entered into its fifth year. So, or actually okay. sixth year. Come to think of it, we've done it for five years. So, yeah, yeah, yeah it's so in its sixth year. Come check that out, 8 30 p.m. PST. So, yes, uh, cool, very cool, collectively. And, uh, of course, collectively, we can be found on Twitter at Geek History Time. Uh, and we can be found uh, on our website at A Geek History of Time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, additionally, we can be found on uh, Twitch. Not, well, not Twitch. Uh, Stitcher. Sorry. Stitcher. Stitcher, Spotify, and uh, the Apple uh, uh, Podcast Store. And so a thing I've noticed about that, by the way, uh, it. If you recently uh, subscribed, it doesn't let you go back to all the episodes. And, uh, you know, we have done a number of Star Wars episodes. For instance, my app only lets me go back to episode 34. Um, But if you go back to episodes 99 to 100, you get to the episode on Cardassian jurisprudence. If you do episodes 93, 94, it's a send up or I don't know, send up takedown analysis of the original series. Uh, yep. and Gene Roddenberry's penis. Um, <laughs> and his inability to maintain control of it. Yeah. Uh, or <laughs> or his use of it to control people around him. Uh, in episode three, we covered the Enterprise and 9-11. And uh, yep. in episode 75 through 77, we did a Deep Space Nine watch along. So Which those, was a really good time. Yeah. Th- those are the places that you could find more Star Trek content from our podcast. So Yes. All right. Very cool. Well, uh, but you can go to our website, like you said, geekhistorytime.com, yes. uh, yes. and you can actually scroll all the way to the bottom and find uh, any of those episodes as well as many, many others. So we encourage you. Yes, please do. Yeah. Please do. And also, uh, when you do find us on any of those excellent uh, podcast applications please make sure to subscribe number one uh, and number two uh, give us a review give us the five stars that you know we have earned because uh, we'd very much appreciate it mm-hmm. and uh, on that note yeah well for a geek history of time i'm damien harmony and i'm ed blaylock and until next time really think about who are you